Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. Hello, it's Mark Follett here. Welcome to our very first episode of Core Truth, the podcast. You're probably thinking, what am I going to hear about here? Core Truth? Core Truth of what? Well, we're going to find out. First of all, I'm Mark Follett, as I said, civil engineer, project manager, intuitive healer, and wellness advocate. Do those things go together? Again, we're going to find that out on the show. We're going to find out how that happened, how I ended up being all those things. Um, But first of all, I'd like to introduce to you a very good and dear friend of mine, Rudy Eckhart. Rudy is a healer of 25 plus years experience. He's got amazing life experience on top of that. We met over 18 months ago uh, and I've been engaged in his philosophy on life ever since. I've learned so much from him as a, as a mentor and teacher, uh, and there's still so much to learn. He has a unique way of understanding human motivations, driven by either love or fear, uh, and has written a book on, book on the subject, which is an amazing read. Through, through knowing him, through working with Rudy, I've just made some amazing changes in my own life, and I wanted to share with you some of those changes through this podcast show. My aim is to make sure that you as listeners get the, the benefit that I've had over the last 18 months of Rudy's wisdom and his understanding and insight into the world. So you're probably thinking, what can I expect to hear on this show? What, what sort of topics are you going to be covering? Well, basically this subject matter is going to be about life, but not, not the mundane part of life, the magic of life. We're going to talk about health, we're going to talk about love, the nature of fear, and the devastating effects that fear can have on your individual psyche, on your individual self, and of course on world, on the world and on the world events. We're going to learn about your own motivations. You'll probably learn a lot about yourself as a result of listening to some of these episodes. And uh, find out, are you driven by fear? How do you know? How are you going to ever find that out? How do your beliefs drive your behavior? That's a good question. Do my beliefs drive my behavior? Of course they do. So let's Let's work together. You, you listen to some of these episodes that we're going to pull, up, pull apart for you, the fabric of daily life. We're going to discover the magic. I believe there's magic in the world. We all need to believe in that. And it sits just below the surface. It lies within your own consciousness. It's there. It's bubbling away. It's exciting. It's right there. We need to pull it, pull it apart and find it. This, this first show is a little different, though. This first show, I wanted to, I wanted to, to introduce Rudy to you. And I wanted you to share in his unique life story. I think everyone's got a unique life story, but most of us walk different paths. And Rudy certainly had an unusual, an unusual life. And I think we need to find out a little bit more about him and understand what makes the man tick, where he comes from. And this is definitely a special insight into, into Amazing Man. So I hope you really enjoy the show. Now over to you, Rudy, and you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, my name is Rudolf Eckhart, but I call myself Rudy Eckhart. More of my friends call me Rudy Eckhart. 
I'm Dutch. I was born in Holland, in the in the German or near the German border. Um, I lived most of my life in The Hague when I was in Holland. I came here when I was 17 in 1963 and um, worked here, lived here, got married here, got divorced here um, and did many, many different jobs. I was initially a technician. I've had my own business. I've done anything from running a window factory to uh, being a um, an assistant to the spare parts manager in Holland when I was living there for a while uh, for a master importer. So I've got a wide range of experiences, if you like. But it was not until 1978, 79, that I was introduced to a series of books written by Jane Roberts and started with, with one book that was called Seth Speaks. Reading that book was a revelation for me, and it was probably the book that started me on what we call now popularly my spiritual path, my, my path of emotional and spiritual development. I read most of those books over the period that followed, and in, um, in 1989, I took a kinesiology course that um, led me to working with people. Um, in the first year and a half, I found myself being dissatisfied with that. I felt it was too complicated and it wasn't actually dealing with the issues I felt and believed at that core level. So through uh, experimentation and sometimes by seemingly accidental situations, um, I discovered some um, processes, let's say, that allowed someone to change who they believed themselves to be, which is their inner sense of self. So the notion that they walk around with of who they are, but there's a conscious part within that and there's a subconscious part within that. And so I developed that. I worked what I call now belief systems. Um, I developed tools to work with those belief systems and I um, set, a, set up a company called MetaCredo, which means uh, transforming what you believe. So... This was the beginning of my work, and it probably took off in 1990 and 91. And I started um, taking baby steps in those days. Um, it took me four and a half years to really understand why I was getting the results I was getting, which were positive from the very beginning. Clients um, started to come back and recommending all the clients to me. Um, in fact, I've never had to advertise or promote myself in the 25 years I've been doing this work because literally the results of this work speak for themselves. So because of that, because of the feedback I got from, from clients and because of the changes that they experienced, my belief in this work is enormous. Um, and uh, I will probably stake my life on it. Um, the truth of it is that we can change. And this is what my process and system and philosophy have shown and proven. We can change who we are, we can change our inner identity, and as a result of that, we will change our perception, we will change our behavior, we will change what we think and feel. We will change our relationship with the world and with others because we have changed us because we have changed ourselves and the nature of ourselves, we also change the dynamic between ourselves and others. And so from that we get a different life experience to the one we had before. So from that perspective, the work is truly effective, very deep, and unfortunately for some people, terribly confronting. <laughs> um, you cannot 
um, do this work without being confronted with your own belief systems, consciously or subconsciously, and it's the subconscious one that we have an issue with. Um, the basis of the philosophy is that we are the creators of our own reality. The problem is that we are the creators of our reality all the time. There's no exception to any moment in time when we're not doing it. So whether we experience a positive experience of reality or a negative experience of reality, we're always responsible. That, that's really the key, I think, of um, both the books that you mentioned before and also your work and your life is that we create our own reality. Yeah, it's, 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 it is it's some... It's a core underlying um, factor in, in your life and your work, as I, as I see it. I personally, for me... Um, I have questioned my life, my existence, and this might sound a little bit odd, um, my, my being, if you like, from the age of about six and a half. I, I, I question myself. I remember sitting on the floor one time on my own in our flat in The Hague and um, looking at my hands and looking at my body and thinking, why am I inside of this? What, what, it's strange to me. It feels odd. It feels weird. And, and I could sense that the me that I was was not the body that I was looking at. And that awareness and that uh, sensibility, if you like, has never left me. I've constantly questioned everything in my life. For most of my life, for the first, well, most of my life, for the first, let's say, <clears throat> 24 years of my life, I felt there was something wrong with me. And I'm sure a lot of people go through this. A lot of people feel... There's something wrong with them because of the way they think, the way they perceive things, <clears throat> the way they um, um, feel affected by things. Uh, in my case, it was um, that I could see people acting and behaving in a certain way, and I sensed, or I thought I sensed at the time, that there were other reasons and motivations behind those actions and choices that nobody else seems to care about. So it looked almost like the way they acted and responded and talked to each other was a contradiction to what was really going on inside of them. And I assumed that um, being a child, that I must be wrong and that everybody else's perception about this must be right. So what it did for me, it's made me feel very disconnected from reality. I probably was a social misfit. misfit. Um, I... Um, was socially inept, which I realized at the age of 11 and 12. To, to some extent, you said that that was as a result of changing countries and the language and other things. But no, no, that didn't happen until I was 17. Right. So I was 17 years, I, I came to Australia, and that was another disconnect because mm. I didn't feel I fitted in with Australian society from an emotional perspective, if you like. I didn't connect with Australian mentality. So do you think, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question, do you think that the experiences that you had when you were 17 were an external influence on your life or is that just a reinstatement of you create your own reality and you were seeking opportunities to experience being different from your belief systems, which is kind of what you explained earlier is about creating your reality? Well, once you start believing that you don't fit in, and you start accepting that you're a misfit or different, then that will determine your perception of the world. You start to notice all the reasons why you don't fit in, all the reasons why you don't belong, all the reasons why others can't accept you. What you might do is, is like I did, I suppose, I started suppressing. 
I started only showing those parts of myself that I believed others would accept. <clears throat> I wasn't necessarily a pleaser because I don't think that that mattered that much to me, but I didn't want rejection and I didn't want to be excluded, particularly from the people I was working with, um, because they, um, they were fundamentally really, really nice people. And I know that even then, but I couldn't feel like they did. I couldn't think like they did. I couldn't fit in with their mentality. It almost teaches you to be a chameleon. You have to change your change your outward appearance to suit the to suit the environment you're in. Mm. Yeah, uh, and 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 I, I'm sure that I did quite a bit of that in the early part of my life. It's only in my in my thirties, late early thirties, that I um, started to change that. And the material that I read in the Seth book basically confirmed for me that my thinking wasn't actually that far off the beam. And that my reasoning and my understanding and my perception of the world was not really that um, strange. <clears throat> so it's kind of affirmed the nature of my own being that I thought for a long time was proof that there was something wrong with me. So instead, I started believing in myself as a result of that book. And I think that became the springboard to eventually me becoming a kinesiologist for a while and then developing the um, system that we now call core belief therapy uh, under the umbrella of Metacrater um, that, we now, that I now practice and I'm practicing this with Mark Follett um, who I want to teach this to and he will become my, my temporary, my assistant and eventually my, uh, my colleague. Uh, in this in this work, we're both trying to um, bring this system into the world by, for the first time now, creating a uh, training system, a training program that will um, allow other people to learn this and to to practice this, and um, similarly get very positive results for people as I have. Um, we're going to make sure that that's, that 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 will, that that will absolutely be the case. That the outcome will be like that. Yeah. Well, when you believe you create your reality, then it's really just about putting your drive and intent behind it and knowing and trusting that the outcome is going yeah. to suit what your intent is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is um, one, of the, one of the most difficult things for me to understand, and it took me three and a half years to understand it, three and a half years of asking questions, working with clients, without really understanding the nature of fear. And I think the key understanding for every human being is first of all to understand what fear is all about and what love is all about what love should be in the sense that it should always be unconditional and what fear is in uh, connection with love because <clears throat> understanding that forms the foundation for all of this work and um, it finishes up uh, within ourselves <clears throat> as fear-based belief systems um, there are very few people in this world that can love, accept, and trust in a truly and absolute unconditional way. And that's quite logical, and there's a lot of explanations you can give for that. But we don't need to live in fear. And unfortunately, just about every individual on the planet right now has got in the habit and in the belief of fear. That, that affects us as a, as a society as well as individuals. That, that affects us globally. Yes. It, it creates armies, it creates economic conflict, it creates greed, it creates um, uh, neediness beyond belief, 
it creates the neglect of a million people in the middle of the desert of Libya who are sitting in a camp waiting to die very slowly. Um, it creates uh, conflict and wars. Um, it makes people do horrible things to one another. It uh, creates homicide, wife beating, uh, child, children's being neglected. And that is all based deep down on fear. Mm. There's not a thing that I can mention that is negative in this world that doesn't have fear at its basis. Mm. So, so, so you've written a book on this subject as well. I wrote the book. It's, it's, been, um, it's been released on Amazon. It's called The um, Truth About Love and Fear. Truth or of, The Truth of Love and of Fear. Of Love and Fear. Yeah. So The Truth of Love and Fear is a core philosophy of the Metacredo system, if you like, or the core belief system therapy that we're doing. So it, it, it will explain, if you were to, to read it, it will explain much of the things that we're talking about right now and um, give you an insight and um, some understanding as to how you create your own current experience in life um, and how you are responsible um, for any interaction or any event created in respect to others or in respect to the world in general. Because once you understand that and you start taking this responsibility, you're actually taking the power into your own hands. Mm. You're actually getting into the driver's seat of your car. So you're, the car is not driving you anymore, you're driving the car. <laughs> and this is, this is something that for many people seems like an impossible proposition. Because once you are in fear, you're also into a level of powerlessness. And then you become subject to the to the behavior, the attitude of others and the world. And once you allow that to happen, once you have let that happen, then you are no longer in control of your life and the circumstances you create. And, so this, and, and I think that's a very common, as you said, um, theme amongst the lives of most people in, in modern society. To one level or another, we all do it. It's not. There's no exception. That includes me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sort of... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sitting here saying that I am beyond this philosophy. I'm not. Um, I still work, after 25 years of working with other people, I still work on myself. I still look at myself. I still uh, find fears that I walk around with. Well, they may not be the same fears that were there 25 years ago. But as you go deeper and further, you uncover more and more about yourself. And you begin to realize that... Um, Living life without fear is just a lifelong journey. Whether you actually get to the absoluteness of it all is not important. What is really important is that you take the first step and then continue. Mm. Because if you don't take that first step, you will never be free from any fear that you have. Well, I think the opposite would probably happen is that you'd probably get into the mire of, of those fears and just continually manifest negative outcomes for yourself. Yeah, and then blame it on other people. Mm. Blame it on the world. Blame blame is one of those things where you transfer your responsibility to others. And that's always easy to do because you always find a reason uh, that you can use um, within a certain conflict or situation where you can make the other person responsible for what you did or how you acted or how you responded or how you felt. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's very natural. We learn that very early in life. Our parents teach us that, in fact. By the way, they treat us when we're still children. Mm. I think the, the basis of your work, as I understand it, is that a lot of our 
fear-based outlook on the world is created as young children because we don't have the ability to be able to reason for ourselves and, and reject things that don't align with our with our core beliefs because we haven't formed them yet. Uh, once, once we get to a certain stage later in life, we have a set of beliefs and then we filter things through those beliefs and things that are consistent with that we attach to ourselves and things that are inconsistent with it we can throw aside. But as children, as young children, we don't have that ability to be able to pick and choose necessarily. Well, you're generally right, but there are some specifics that that make a huge difference here. And that is this, that as a child, when you're you're born, when you first come into the world, you're still a baby, you are born with the innate expectation to be unconditionally loved, to be unconditionally wanted, to be unconditionally trusted, and to be unconditionally accepted. When your parents have fears and insecurities, they put conditions on the relationship with you. They may seem minor, and they may seem to an adult pretty ineffectual, but to a child they're not. So as soon as a child senses that who it is uniquely, which is also something that it comes into the world with, um, because all of us are unique individuals, we don't, we're not the blank sheet that um, we are st- on which our personality is stamped. We already ra- arrive in the world as unique and different individuals. Um, as these unique individuals, we, we, um, we seek to express ourselves, even at that level. When we then experience um, restrictions or rejection or dismissal, or we feel that we're a burden, or our mother is, um, let's say the mother is upset and angry, or sad and depressed, not even because of the baby, but because of the circumstances in the relationship with her husband. The baby has no way of knowing this. So the baby makes the assumption that it must be the reason for this sadness and pain and takes unconsciously or subconsciously, better said, responsibility for that. And it does so by having the fear that if it makes demands on the mother, for instance, that it will be a burden on the mother and therefore it starts suppressing its pain, its issues, its needs, its desires in order not to be a burden to the mother. Or, in the fear of being totally rejected, it goes the opposite way. It becomes really demanding, really needy, (laughs) and uh, cries a lot and gets upset a lot and is extremely sensitive to rejection and dismissal Mm. or being ignored and forgotten. So, when you come into the world, this unique state of being where we we have a unique sense of self and a unique talents and abilities and we come into the, the world to make a unique contribution but also to have a unique experience for ourselves so we can evolve, right? Which has at its core this innate expectation to be unconditionally loved, wanted, and accepted. Now, it is, in the, it is when this expectation is not fulfilled and the fear of it not being fulfilled because the parent sets conditions that the child has to meet. And so the child is then fearful that it can't meet those conditions. That fear-based beliefs are born and that fear-based beliefs become a part of the child, and it starts suppressing, hiding, and uh, avoiding the expression of who it truly is. So its spontaneity goes out the door almost immediately, right? Its reactions and responses over time become contrived, mm-hmm. right? If the mother is very needy of love, and the mother is very needy of support, and the mother can't cope, then the child will suppress itself and maybe even engage in being a support to the mother by making feeling responsible for making mum feel good. 
that may look cute mm. to an outsider, but it's highly damaging to the child. To, to me, a lot of the work that um, we've talked about, a lot of things that you talk about are played out in people's innate understanding of things through sayings and the fact that people have a, I guess there's a general, it's almost a joke understanding that you marry your father or you marry your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, people kind of, they know that. They know that generally people marry someone that's like their mother or like yeah. their father. But to me, this this ties in with what you're saying is that because the person that you end up marrying is is mirroring those issues that you had that come up from your childhood. You end up with people, attracted to people that have the same issues. Well, you're, you're, see what happens is, they, say for instance you're a little girl and you, um, you have a father who's emotionally disconnected, right? Not unusual. Um, and um, you try and please this father to have a connection with him because you want to be loved by him. So you please your father. But you please your father... Um, with the notion that you try, do and be what your father wants, needs and expects you to be, okay? So you, um, you then, your behavior is one, is one of a pleaser, but you then can become the favorite child, if you like. The cost to the child is that the child can never be who it really is. There must always be what the parent expects it to be in order to remain the favorite child. Um, when the child grow up, grows up and becomes a young adult, and then an adult, um, that relationship is actually unresolved because it never got into a space where love became unconditional, acceptance became unconditional. There were always massive conditions between the child and the father. And so because of that, um, the, the, the now adult child has this unresolved aspect in their being, if you like, that needs resolution. And so subconsciously, they find another person who reflects all of the same issues, as you said earlier, in order to get into a place whereby those issues can be resolved. But unfortunately, most of the time, and just about all the time, neither the person who represents the father with his issues, and he's obviously resolving, need to resolve his with his mother in order to have chosen a woman who's just like his mother, which is the girl we're talking about, yeah. okay? So it gets a little bit complicated here. Um, <clears throat> that she will see herself eventually as a as a victim of the man she got involved with, and he will see himself in some way the victim of the woman he's involved with. And neither of them are seeing that they're creating their own reality and choosing people of that represent unresolved issues that they personally walk around with as a result of the negative beliefs that they hold about themselves. Mm. See, at this point in time, and I, I think I need to be clear about this, is that the first eight to ten years of your life are crucial. It is in this period of your life that your interaction with your parents, family members, um, no matter where you finish up or who you're being raised by, the circumstances of the, that particular environment will affect how you believe or how and who you believe yourself to be. You will, you will um, acquire those beliefs. They will come to determine your sense of being. They will determine your perception, your awareness, your actions, choices and behavior responses to the world and others. It will determine who you will choose as a partner and who you will choose as a friend. It may even determine, and that might sound a bit far-fetched, who you will be working for. 
and what kind of company you will join. Mm -hmm. It will affect every part of your life. It will affect how you associate with the world in general, with the girl behind the counter, with your workmates, with your colleagues. With politicians, with the world at large. How you will see that world, Mm -hmm. how you will interpret that world. If you are, uh, by definition, um, the person that sees yourself as a victim, then you will be victimized by the world and God knows whatever is around you. Um, If you feel uh, that you need to dominate and control and that you need to be in charge, you will probably judge everybody else as idiots, stupid and dumb because you are the only one that knows how things should be done Mm. and how people should behave and how they should act. So you, you, you are always the center of your own world experience. You're the, you're the common theme in, in all of your experiences. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you, yes, you are. And, and, and it's, it's, it's sometimes very hard to accept when a lot of your experience are, experiences are negative, relationship-wise or in other ways. Um, I, th- I think I want to say something about this um, particular part, this part where we are the center of our own world experience. Uh, and that is that there is a notion around by certain people, and I can't be specific about this, that working on yourself and uh, working on your own issues and problems is somehow a selfish process, that you're being selfish and self-centered for doing that. And I want to dispel that because it's absolutely not true. Because if you don't work on your issues and problems, you are a negative force inside this world. Mm. You will act out of fear, behave out of fear, and create nothing but issues and disasters, conflict and argument. It's not serving the people that you... It's not serving you and it's not serving everybody around you. So you overcoming your fears and insecurities is essential to creating a harmonious life, but also a harmonious world. Mm. There is no argument that that you can give me against that. I I get chills when I think about a world where we could live in in a place where fear is, is not the driving force in most of the activities. It would be a totally different world. And we can't even imagine it because the world is so completely um, endemic with fear Mm. that we have now beginning to take fear as a normal aspect of life. We accept fear as being normal. It is not. It is not because the normal, what is normal is to live life in an unconditional way. Being unconditionally loved and lovable, being unconditionally accepted and acceptable. And be able to express yourself. Unconditionally. Yeah. Yeah. And be yourself. That is the normal. Everything else is just what what is happening, but it's not normal. So if you can slot a new normal in your mind, you've got a beginning as to what your reference point should be because your reference point for your life, for your own life, is to exist as a person who will only love and be loved and give love unconditionally. Mm. And that's the same for acceptance, trust and being wanted. Well, hopefully, we might we might wrap it up there, but hopefully uh, over the next few weeks we can explore that further and, and plant that seed in people's mind. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it would be absolutely my pleasure. Wow. Well, that was an amazing insight into an amazing man. I'm very excited to be bringing this material to you, and every time I hear it, it connects with my head, my heart, and really makes me think about the world in a different way. If you're interested in learning more about Rudy and looking him up, his uh, website is rudyeckhart.net, R-U-D-Y-E-C-K-H-A-R-D-T dot N-E-T. I really hope you guys enjoyed that and got something out of the show. If you did, subscribe to our 
podcast because some of the upcoming episodes are going to absolutely blow your mind.